0: Welcome to today's event, the latest in Transportation Insights Digital Masters Series. We're here today to talk about emerging trends in the logistics industry during the next several months. We're also going to share actionable steps you can immediately apply to your small parcel, LTL, Truckload and international transportation management, so you can continue to meet customer expectations for the rest of 2021. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us. I'm Michael Willard in the marketing division at Transportation Insight, and we've invited a panel of our experts to join us. Before we turn it over to our panel, I want to remind our audience we welcome your participation. Please submit your questions for our panelists in the GoToWebinar questions panel. We'll take as many questions as possible respond during and after our presentation, and we'll follow up directly on any questions we don't address during today's event. With that, we'll turn the presentation over to our moderator, Reed Jacob. Reed is Vice President of Client Solutions for Transportation Insight. For more than three decades, he has partnered with mid- and large-cap companies to help them understand the critical importance of accurate and complete supply chain and transportation data. This awareness is critical to executives' ability to make business decisions that can transform financial and operational aspects of their organization. Welcome to the conversation today, Reed. Let's begin with an introduction of our panel.
1: Great. Thank you, Michael. I greatly appreciate it. You know, I'm very excited about our panel today. They bring over 130 years of industry experience and, more importantly, 44 years of working together at TI. We'll start with Brian Broadhurst. He's based in Atlanta and brings 16 years experience, including parcel operations from a perspective of a shipper, a carrier, and a third-party perspective. Additionally, we have Chris Mendenhall, who leads our LTL carrier relation team for the last 18 years. Chris has over 39 years experience in the industry. James Matthews, based in Hickory, leads our truckload carrier relations team for the last 11 years. He has over two decades of industry experience. We're also joined by Drew Herpich from Atlanta. Drew is the chief commercial officer at Nolan Transportation Group, the nationwide leader in strategic truckload shipping and 3PL services. Drew brings 15 years of supply chain experience to the panel with a focus in operations management, sales management, strategic planning, and leadership. And last but not least, Jared Wilson. His career has a strong focus in international logistics and global supply chains. He leads our client services team and brings over 17 years of industry experience. Thank you, gentlemen. And now let's jump into the state of the market. While much of the country is re-engaging from the COVID pandemic, the supply chain is still being greatly impacted across all modes of transportation. The U.S. economy is continuing its strong recovery as we approach the end of the second quarter of 2021. Forecast points to near double-digit growth for the first quarter, over the first quarter, giving the economy four consecutive strong quarters since the full onset of the pandemic in 2020. The shift to an economy much more focused on online commerce, has continued as the country effectively reopened for the most part. While in-person sales still dominates, forecasts for continued accelerated growth for the foreseeable future means that companies must shape their supply chain to meet the customers where they are. As a result, the supply chain has evolved to become more like a supply web. The producer price index performance chart shown here demonstrates rates of inflation for every manufactured everything manufactured in the US. As you can see, the three major modes of domestic transportation continue to significantly outpace the producers can effectively charge for their goods and services. When combined with consumers desire for faster delivery options at a low cost, This pressure between cost of goods sold and the movement of those goods puts a premium on making sure logistics operations are operating at maximum efficiency and inventory is positioned optimally. Let's take a deeper dive into each mode with our panel. And I wanna warn the panelists that I have a lot of two-part questions. I'm gonna load you guys up so you can give a lot of information. And we'll start with Brian Broadhurst from our parcel team. Brian, we know that parcel shippers have seen unprecedented runs in capacity tightness, rates, and surcharges since the pandemic pandemic grew in scope, and consumer and business buying patterns have shifted dramatically towards the e-commerce model. How do you see the capacity changing as we head into the second half of the year with the economy opening up? Thank you Reed and it's a great question because we we do have a lot of customers who are coming
2: to us with a very different goal from a small parcel optimization perspective. Historically it was really a cost play and how do you find the optimal carrier and that's really changed completely to a capacity play with a lot of folks looking to solve their largest pain point which is making sure they have another contingency plan ahead of peak season and another way to move freight throughout the UPS and FedEx networks and around the traditional parcel carriers. Um, there will always be a place for those carriers. They're extremely good at what they do on a national footprint. But being able to have another solution is, is a huge key there. And the main reason for that is because as we go into the second half of the year, we don't see capacity changing any better. It's going to continue to be a constraint. We expect it's going to get worse as true peak season, traditional peak season approaches, compounded by the recent rise in e-commerce, triggered by the pandemic, but it's here to stay. And so there might be some, a bit of subsiding from that, but a lot of folks have learned to buy online and that will be a a constant increase from the baseline. And again, Amazon Prime Day just ended, that increased volume as well. Um, There's going to be a lot of back to school holiday sales. There's going to be a lot of peak season opportunities for the, the retail shippers. And at the end of the day, it really is just, it's a simple supply and demand issue where the demand is out is pacing at a faster rate than the supply, and that's what's causing the capacity constraints, and that's what is forcing our clients to get creative in how they find another solution for their small parcel volume.
1: Yeah. Brian, it seems like the pandemic has just accelerated the change in, in our go-to-market uh, and how the consumer buys. Uh, whereas we know e-commerce was going to grow dramatically, it's grown exponentially faster because of the pandemic. That being said, what can shippers do to weather the capacity challenges?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It really, it really just escalated and expedited what was going to happen anyway. Um, so it was coming, but this forced it sooner. And for our customers, we're, we're telling them to really do a couple of things. The first is, is work with carriers directly, communicate regularly. You need to talk to your UPS and FedEx and small parcel counterparts to understand what volume will be able to move through those networks. Making sure that it's a two-way dialogue and that you have a solution for your foundation volume, so to speak. That will also trigger a bit of visibility into what incremental volume they need to solve for. And that'll be the, that'll be the starting point of understanding how much volume do they need to solve through creative solutions. And that, that then triggers diversifying carriers, right? So there's UPS and FedEx, but there's also a tremendous regional network in the U.S. um, that operate in various parts of the country. There's crowdsource platforms, there's gig-based drivers, and once you know the incremental volume beyond what UPS and FedEx can handle, those are the main areas where you can really go to a number of key providers and solve for the lion's share of the incremental volume. And that's ultimately what it is. It's great communication with your existing carriers, your incumbent carriers. And then identifying the additional volume and having a diversified carrier network to move freight through less traditional networks as we go into peak season this year. And truthfully, into future years, as parcel and e continues to just outpace the, the capacity in the networks, it'll be a solution to stay for a lot of our
1: shippers. So creative um, alternatives are, are the solution against the, the main providers that are out there today. Speaking of absolutely, the main, and I, and I, yeah, well, the one thing I was going to add to that, um, Brian, and, and I'll turn it back over to you is, you know, speaking to the main carriers today, they really have driven the the pricing and the surcharges. What do you anticipate will happen in the surcharge arena in uh, 2021?
2: Yep, and, and that's the, the combination of the pricing and just the capacity volume is really what is the impetus for a lot of other providers out there to have a place in the small parcel delivery network today because the capacity is not there, but also the competing price has rise quite a bit. That new entrants are more likely to be able to do it on a cost competitive manner. And one of the areas for that read is the surcharges you reference. UPS actually came out two days ago on June 22nd and announced their 2021 peak season changes. It's in line with what we were forecasting where it's very similar to what has happened in previous years. And we expect FedEx to fully follow suit. From our perspective, those are going to be focused around the less profitable or less desirable freight. There's a number of pages about international volume. A lot of that is import from overseas in Asia. And then we get into residential and larger packages. I, I expect FedEx will do a very similar mechanism. And from that point, the... On the residential side, we know that commercial volume is what a lot of the carriers out there were built for. So as they go to deliver to more residential networks, that is a a bit of a constraint. And in that front, UPS even gets as savvy as having a varying residential surcharge based on how heavy of a residential shipper you are. And if you're over a certain threshold of packages, it also varies based on how how seasonal you are and how your peak season volume compares as a factor to your normal non-peak volume per week, and it even varies by week during the peak season to really ensure that they're passing on increases aligned as much as possible to their true cost to serve your network.
1: It's almost like it's more about uh, driving behavior through pun- punitive action than it is about making revenue. Um, Brian, you know, it sounds like it's going to be a challenging peak season for shippers operationally. It's almost as if it, last year's peak never stopped. And what we're seeing is even more competitiveness for capacity than we did last year. What's the best way that shippers can work through this environment?
2: Yeah, it comes down to really a combination of a few things. One is regular communication with your incumbents, maintaining that relationship, even if there is a certain threshold or a cap coming your way, that communication and good relationship is with the provider you need in your network. So, so that's key item number one. And it's expanding that across all supply chain partners. Is you have a third party involved, ensuring you're working with them, ensuring you're looking for new entrants into the marketplace, and that you're really looking at that immediately ahead of peak season, because it will take a bit of time to stand up these alternative solutions. And that's a lot of it as far as optimizing within a small parcel network. But there is a natural phenomenon that happens within transportation where there's multiple modes and there's spillover for one to another. So once you truly optimize your small parcel network, One of those areas of of surcharge is the large package surcharge, which is a good nod to LTL. And making sure you look at optimizing within a single mode like small parcel, but also look at when it makes sense to do a modal optimization and move freight from one mode to another. So that, that way you're optimizing your whole supply chain and transportation model as opposed to just a single mode.
1: Brian, thank you very much, and great segue. I appreciate you uh, setting the stage for me there um, to discuss more about you know how the the volume of uh, high e commerce and parcel demand is forcing carrier or shippers to look at LTL. We'd like to bring in uh, Chris Menenhall. Um, Chris, you've been in this space for a long time, and I've heard you say that these uh, conditions are unlike any you've ever seen before. Can you speak about what is making the market so unique?
3: Sure. So, historically, LTL carriers <clears throat> would gladly take on more and more volume until they eventually just shut their systems down. I think some of the older timers will remember the Labor Day 2002 and CF or Consolidated Freightways went out of business. And that was kind of the, one of the first major. Gluts where we got in a situation not as bad as what we're in right now, but an uh, assembly situation. But technology's gotten better. Um, the LTL carriers have used technology to be able to uh, shift freight on and off on things like spot markets and the blankets, and they're using those tools to uh, uh, move freight on and off of their trucks. As Brian mentioned, um, the parcel spillover is definitely throwing volume over into LTL, and then we've got Labor shortages, uh, temporary carrier embargoes, Um, we're seeing out-of-cycle reviews or pricing adjustments, and just all-around bad service inside of the LTL uh, inside of the LTL industry. Um, Carriers are having to use um, truckload more for their uh, line haul and uh, for because they can't uh, keep up with demand, and you know that raises the price of uh, their line haul, and it also um, uh, causes some service disruptions in there too. They have less, um, they'll have less hold on their LTL on, on on the movement of their freight when they're outsourcing it.
1: Gotcha. So Chris, I mean, obviously with LTL carriers having service issues, <clears throat> most people's gut feeling would be to switch carriers to try to fix the problem. Why is that a bad idea right now?
3: Well, so right now it's it's best to stick with your carrier partners if you can you know co- you know collaborate with them on your service issues because uh, everybody's got them so we can use the RTMS to block carriers in specific areas and be very finite off of that but if you if you go in and just block the carrier, it's probably not going to be better on the other side the um, everybody even the best carriers the tier one carriers are having service issues and record um, record low on time percentages so uh, they're all struggling so hang in there with the carriers uh, let us work through those issues um, we can also look into um, uh, cartage agents uh, you know some of those non-traditional type carriers uh, that are uh, maybe lower service providers but you know we we can bring some capacity in there It's just having to understand uh, you know what the need is Go so on.
1: Well, so it's more about the volumes um, and less about the carrier network. That's what's driving these issues that we're seeing today. Is
3: well, that- it, 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 the volume, yeah, I mean, you, you see some drastic measures. I think pretty much everybody has read what uh, FedEx did a couple of weeks ago where, uh, you know, they shed 1,400 clients, uh, which is – that's unheard of. Um, and wasn't just uh, profitability issues. It was – you know, the they couldn't handle the business volumes and just the geographical areas in general. Um, uh, they had to make some lane adjustments just to move the freight. Everybody's gotcha. struggling.
1: Yeah, so it, it, having a strong uh, partnership with your current providers is is good advice. Um, are there any other recommendations that you would give to LTL shippers uh, through this environment?
3: Yeah. So, again, going back to, you know, those divert-top carriers, those are options out there. Uh, We've added to our client base a lot of local couriers, you know, other alternatives that may have a lower service, but you can at least get the freight picked up. So it's hanging in there with your current providers, uh, letting us work with those providers to try to improve service levels. um, And they will get better, you know. a good example of one thing that we're hearing from the LTL carriers right now is one thing that's throwing freight out of route is um, during COVID, uh, a lot of shippers started uh, using arrival notice on on almost every single shipment because they didn't know whether their consignees were going to be there, so they wanted to make sure that you know if those people if the consignee was having to come in to make a special arrangements to pick up uh, you know to be there to receive the freight. That somebody was there, so they started putting arrival notice on everything, and that completely throws uh, service levels, you know, out to the wind. So they've asked us to um, work with our client base to have our shippers go back and interview their um, consignees to make sure that the that um, they're still in that situation. If they're back to normal, then we can remove that. So you think about the zigzagging inside of town um, for the drivers when they're when they are at a route because a lot of that is appointment when they call uh, gotcha. you know, on the Bravo Notice side. And then also um, shipping earlier, if you can, give yourself a little bit of leeway a day or two in there and make some adjustments on your inbound side or just plan accordingly to make sure that you've got inventory in-house. Gotcha. It will get better. And, you know, the LTO carriers are hiring. Uh, they're adding doors on. Uh, they're adding equipment. Uh, capacity will level out. But for the meantime, uh, you know, for now, uh, it, it's tough.
1: right, well, Chris, thank you. And appreciate you sharing this advice for LTL shippers in the audience. I do wanna take a moment to remind everyone that we will be answering questions as we can towards the end of the time together today. Please type your questions in the questions pane in your go-to webinar panel to submit them. Chris mentioned that LTL carriers are running tight on capacity, just like the small parcel carriers and that they're using truckload carriers much more to move line haul between distribution points in their network. James, I was wondering if you could speak to that issue in the truckload space. Are you seeing spillover from the LTL sector, squeeze full truckload capacity, and are service issues occurring in the truckload space as well?
4: Hey Reed, uh, thanks for the question. Um, yes, there's just like the kind of the waterfall effect, small parcels of the LTL, there is the spillover from the LTL sector for all of those reasons that were mentioned by Chris. Uh, there's also spillover from the intermodal space due to slower transit times and long unloading times at the receivers. Yeah. And this is really making the truckload to intermodal conversion opportunities virtually non-existent, adding capacity constraint already felt in the truckload space. So as we're sitting, all indicators point toward a full truckload environment with tighter capacity and elevated truckload rates and contract contractual rates, but also high spot rates continuing the third quarter. I'll focus on the contract rates and not steal any of Drew's thunder. Um, but there are other factors that are contributing to tighter capacity and higher transportation costs as well. The delays that we've had in truck, new truck order deliveries some up to 12 months out, and I've even heard some carriers are canceling orders just because of those delays. Uh, that was equipment that we were anticipating hitting the market and alleviating some of this uh, some of this crunch. Um, even if it was replacement, we were expecting some of that to be uh, expansion capacity as well. Hmm. Oh. oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were asking a question. Uh, Along with those new trucks that are hitting the road, all the carriers are uh, experiencing an inability to hire new drivers, and they've also got increased driver wages, some with two wage bumps already reported this year. And everyone, every mode, every equipment type is vying for that driver labor, Um, as well as just the ongoing capacity demand. You know, current demand is high, and according to recent purchasing managers indexes, Expectations for future growth in production and products on the road is also high. Tack on that, fuel is up 34% year over year, and that pass-through charge just adds to the overall cost to our shippers. Um, I would not plan for a downward trend in contract rates or or capacity demand ahead of the retail peak season. And I'm I'm not trying to just throw in all the ands, but but they but they're coming. Uh, and then you've got produce season that simply just adds strain on capacity and traditional patterns that vary, you know, market to market, but I wouldn't expect that to be any more than the normal aggravator to the, to the truckload cost environment.
1: And and I don't want to throw in a, in another and, but there is hurricane season, but I'll, I'll leave that alone, my friend.
4: Um, don't jinx this buddy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a sobering picture of the market, no doubt. Um, what do you uh, recommend for truckload shippers to focus on for the next few months to get through to that road to recovery where capacity and rates will stabilize?
4: Yeah, the, uh, the road to recovery may be longer than initially expected, leading early to kind of the early 2022 at least. Um, while you may see some spot market relief uh, from time to time, I wouldn't expect contract rates to follow as quickly, so I am looking at that uh, first Q1 of 2022 for signs of relief. But there are some things that truckload shippers should be uh, and can be doing right now. Uh, The first of that is just be flexible with pickups and deliveries, Uh, even within inside the shipping hours uh, that you've got. If you've got any of that flexibility, it's going to help you achieve the best possible cost that you can get for that for that shipment. Uh, lead time, and this goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, flexibility and it's paramount to tender acceptance. Both of these simply give your carriers more time to reposition their equipment and plan their networks to be able to service your business better. I would also uh, caution you to maintain a realistic understanding of your capacity construct, uh, consumption and carrier service levels and resist kind of the urge to penalize your carriers. Look, your sales are probably up and and carriers may be hauling the same amount that they were last year, uh, but they may not be able to accept 100% of their tenders due to uh, limited overflow capacity. If we remove any of the carriers because of low overall acceptance rates, you could ultimately be reducing your available capacity. Uh, And then for for receivers that really have uh, some enduring costs around uh, chargeback programs for on time and in full. It's really important to understand the cause and the frequency of that charge. And perhaps make a business decision of uh, absorbing that cost versus passing it on to your carrier. Penalizing your, your carrier partner may mean paying more on every load. Now I'm not I'm not saying accept bad service. I believe that accurate measuring and monitoring is key in identifying a good partner but protecting them may increase your carrier participation and prevent them from padding every line haul rate with the anticipation of a potential cost reduction.
1: Gotcha. Excellent insight, James. I know you focus a lot of your time on contract truckload, but you did mention spot market is seeing considerable stress as well. I'll, I'll pose the next two questions to Drew. Um, Drew, what is the perspective of in the non-contract freight market right now and into Q3 and what key advice can you give shippers who live in this space about what they can do during the run-up of peak of this year? Yeah, really great
5: questions there. I'll go over the the market right now a little bit and give some uh, planning tips as well. So, Uh, Very interesting time of the year for spot freight just in general, right? That gap between Memorial Day and July 4th always poses a lot of capacity issues in general, but this year more than ever, right? And so we had, obviously, Prime Day the other day from Amazon. Walmart and Target had their days as well. Uh, This week, everybody's getting their shipments out for the end of month and end of quarter. And as we spruce up to the July 4th holiday, we're going to see a lot of volatility over these next couple of weeks, um, what we didn't talk a lot about this year from that Memorial Day to July 4th, though, was produce. Reason being is rates are so elevated that this year that many of the carriers aren't chasing the regular produce that they do usually run and are going to back to their normal freight. That said, though, we will see a pinch for the next couple of weeks. There isn't a lot of slack in capacity. So anytime we have events like an end of month and a quarter or a July 4th or an Amazon Prime Day, we're seeing these transportation events, we're still struggling to see the capacity and drivers out there in in the workforce right now. The big question this year, uh, we can see every year kind of in July, do we see that July lull, right? We're usually after that July 4th period, a week after we kind of see a lull. We're targeting this year around that July, July 12th area, But all signs really point to no lull this year, similar to the year of 2014, and everybody remembers 2018. So those are a couple of years that we didn't get that lull. We're kind of seeing the same thing from a capacity standpoint this year. But what we are seeing is more and more supply coming to market from Class A truck orders last year that James is pointing out. These events usually take 9 to 12 months. Uh, and unemployment coming to an end in a lot of states. So we might start to see drivers coming back into the uh, market, especially at these elevated rates. I mean, you think about it, 3.5 million drivers out there, number one job in America. These drivers really do drive the supply chains at the end of the day. Uh, At the same time that supply end though, manufacturers have seen uh, issues with a lot of semiconductors, right? Drivers taking on different industry jobs. And the biggest thing that we're seeing a lot of is this long haul driver becoming more of a final mile of local shipments. But overall, you know, year over year, spot index is up 55%. Uh, Rates are elevated at historical levels that we have never seen. Uh, Consumer spending, though, we're going to rotate back into these services, you know, from goods, right? So where a lot of people were buying toilet paper, paper towel, now we're going to get back to, you know, getting to some of the services standpoint, right? And we do expect demand to hold their current levels of where it is right now. Inventories are still remaining at record lows. Uh, but we're going to go into this next shift right from more of that food and bev and produce now back to back to school retail and now people going out and turning on different sectors Uh, when we talk about those different sectors this is where trucking companies have to reposition their equipment and their drivers as well too jared's going to go over this in a second about the ports but this has been a big issue in general not only on the u.s side but overseas as well too. One of China's largest ports right now is only operating at about 70% capacity. So the more issues that we see at some of these ports, this is some of the planning that will be going into these shipments and we're going to be living in this spot world more and more. Um, But again, it's going to be very elevated for the next six plus months. Our view from our end, we feel will be tight for this market until really the next year. We feel the next cycle will probably start after the Chinese New Year in 2022. Uh, But until shippers start seeing reasonable contract rates, we're going to be living in this spot world. And then Reed, you asked some planning tips that a lot of these shippers could look at. You know, the big thing that I I would say are these five real main points, you know, plan ahead. You know, it goes without saying, but many shippers are are falling short after leaning on a lot of the COVID behavior, you know, filling the demand once it was there. But everyone needs to start planning ahead again now to get kind of back to where we were. Uh, Analyze your warehouse in D.C. strategy over the last year. I've seen a lot of different customers shift their strategies for where their DCs are going to be located. This is going to be a make or break for shippers as they go forward, especially having to get to customers at the end of the day. Uh, we talked about some supply chain collaboration. It, it, it was never really heard of in this industry before to work with other customers, maybe in the same vertical as you, to see how you can get more supply chain solutions. We're seeing a lot more customers over the last year go to the, these kind of solutions. And The last two, you know, something that's really accelerated over the last year the final mile segment, being able to get to your final customers, understanding how their supply chain works and, and what we're seeing from the drivers too. There's a lot of issues with getting drivers on board with CDLs. There's not a lot of driver issues though without, without the CDLs. So the biggest right. thing I would say, you know, understanding or leaning on your 3PL partner to help understand the significant triggers that really impact these markets. Uh, the more knowledgeable you can be about this, the better it's gonna be for your supply chain at the end of the day.
1: Great, great insight. Thank you, Drew. One one question that I'd like to throw back to, to James and to Drew, we see it uh, as you drive down the road. Uh, the, the carriers are advertising on the back of their trucks looking for drivers. You see it on billboards. You're hearing it in, in all media, the need for drivers. But one thing that that uh, is in the marketplace and people are talking about is autonomous drivers or uh, robotic trucks. Do you guys see that as a, a near-term, far-term relief or... You know, when do you anticipate that impacting the uh, the market space?
4: Well, from from my standpoint, uh, this is an industry that's pretty slow to adopt new technology. Plus, you have infrastructure issues uh, that would need to be put in place uh, to support that. We have in infrastructure. Issues already for just standard over the road trucks. So, so, thinking that it it might be a near term solution, I think is uh, is optimistic. I've heard some carriers say that this is a 2033 conversation. Um, so, I now don't. I think that there will be uh, early adoption in certain areas where it makes sense. Maybe in uh, in port to to ramps. You may see something around that. A little bit more, but for true over-the-road capacity relief, I think we're a little further out. And Drew, you may you may have a differing opinion, but that's kind of what I'm I'm hearing.
5: No, I, I agree with you, James. It's a it's one of those things of it, it is a matter of time that this will come. Now, depending on when that happens, uh, I'm a big believer. Let's see it on personal vehicles first before we have 45,000 pounds behind a vehicle. Uh, so I think it will take some time. But when you think about the the different levels that go into this autonomous vehicle from level one to level five, um, there's a lot of things that need to take place before we're going to be able to get there. So, uh, again, I think it's a matter of time of when this does happen. I think to James points we will see certain things like, you know, think about maybe a Chicago to St. Louis run that you could do at 11 p.m. to you know 4 a.m. Uh, when there's not a lot of people on the road. Uh, but there's got to be a lot of things over the next few years uh, from a legal standpoint for us really to get there.
1: Great. Thank you, guys. While we see this in Wall Street Journal and other um, news magazines, it's fun to talk about, but not not anything that's short-term, for sure. So, thank you for uh, sharing your information in the truckload space. You both talked about port congestion as being a challenge for the truckload sector. Jared, I'm going to reach out to you. Prior to joining Transportation Insight, you were in the ocean freight world for two decades. Have you ever seen the ocean or air freight markets like this? And why is this happening right now?
6: Hi, Reid. In short, no, this this is really, it continues to be an unprecedented environment in the international shipping market. Uh, and There's a few drivers for that. So we've seen volatility for the better part of the last 12 months, just due to some extreme imbalances in capacity versus demand. And that's been exacerbated by disruptions in the market. So earlier in the second quarter, uh, when we were sharing an update, the disruption at that time was, was the Suez Canal blockage, which had a ripple effect and impact on capacity and driving higher rates in the market. The disruption that we're seeing in the market right now uh, that Drew alluded to a few minutes ago is related to um, some of the port slowdowns and port closures in southern China as a a result of of some COVID outbreaks. And that's really causing some additional capacity issues. Uh, A number of ships are are anchored um, and uh, with backlogs building up. And so the impact is with extra capacity coming out of the market and not being available, this is just one more thing that's driving increased rates. Um, So particularly in the last several weeks, uh, the ocean market has seen some some significant increases in pricing um, to uh, where on some lanes uh, we're, we're seeing multiples of three to four times what would be considered normal rates and in, in pre-COVID. So it's an extremely volatile market on the ocean side. Still, another impact is uh, it's driving more demand in the air freight market uh, as shippers and importers are, are doing contingency planning. And. Um, Capacity is not fully back in air uh, due to to passenger flights not being fully back in the market. So it's impacting there as well. And then the last thing I'll mention is, uh, you know, we we talk a lot about the impact on cargo coming out of East Asia and China. But it's also impacting U.S. uh, exports as well. Uh, What we're seeing is steamship lines being so desperate to get empty containers back to Asia Uh, that they're shipping those those containers back um, empty instead of matching them with with us export loads, so it's taking some capacity out of the us export market
1: as well. Wow wow when when do you believe we can expect some relief uh, in congestion and in rates and and what advice do you give international shippers in, that are facing these conditions? It's going to be a while. Uh, We're approaching, as we approach August, that's
6: the traditional peak season uh, in in the ocean market. Um, So I would expect at at earliest, um, these rate levels uh, and capacity issues will continue well into Q4, uh, if not 2022. So I would expect for uh, for some time. In terms of it, in terms of advice, uh, I think it's a few things. I think uh, just continuing to be as agile as possible with contingency planning and whether that's being ready for modal shifts uh, from ocean to air or just being open to to different equipment, different container sizes than you may be used to shipping, just grabbing capacity wherever you can. Uh, the other, as some of the others have mentioned, it really just calls out the importance of having strong partnerships, um, you know, leveraging relationships and partnerships as much as you can in an environment where it's very difficult to get space. And then from a planning standpoint, um, just continuing to be very mindful of building some buffer in inventory planning um, just due to the unpredictable environment with space and to help guard against potential disruptions moving forward.
1: Yeah that's um great insight Jared thank you very much um you know as we've heard from each member of the panel this is a you know very challenging time that that we're facing and and each mode has its own unique um challenges and, and um uh, solutions out there i think you know we heard a lot about planning we heard about uh, searching for alternative options uh, we talked about the relationship with your incumbent provi- providers, um, you know, and, and how we can help you in, in every one of those markets. Guys, I, I want to pose this back to you one more time. If, if each of you could provide one nugget for our audience that you would want them to take away from our time today, um, what would that be? And, and Brian, we'll start with you. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's knowing that the small parcel
2: and e-commerce world is different than it has been in recent years, and it's about finding a capacity solution and balancing that with costs. in order to do that, you need to diversify your carrier mix, to have a contingency plan, not just for the short term but for the long term because I think it's here to stay. and as as you go through that method, ensuring that you you know from a from a cost is a balance of costs and it's a balance of just contingency planning where. What looks like it might be a slightly higher increase now, as the baseline and the UPS and FedEx surcharges come on board, a, a non-traditional carrier that might be slightly a slight premium cost today, will give you the benefit of being able to ship now and not lose the wholesale of the product. But also, with their increases likely not being as fast paced as the traditional carriers, I think in the future it'll be even more cost beneficial. So I think it's it's very key to look into that to diversifying your carrier mix. That's a lot of work. So finding a partner that can help you do that is key. And I think that'll set you up for success in this year and also in in the years to come.
1: Great. Great. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Uh, Chris, how about in the LTL world? Oh, you might be on mute, my friend.
3: Back to technology, right?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Coming back to what, what I uh, discussed earlier, the, the one takeaway would definitely be, uh, you know, working with the existing carriers because, it, it, you know, in times past and normal conditions, you know, when you have service issues in an area, it's very easy to get another carrier to pick it up and they'll be there tomorrow. And in today's environment, uh, carriers aren't taking on new capacity. And if they do and it doesn't work out, you may lose that capacity that you had. So it's letting us work with you and working with the carriers. Um, and we'll get through this season, but during this season, working with the existing carriers.
1: Yeah. And and I think the unique thing that's, you know, if you look between the parcel and the LTL arena, uh, there there are so many different providers and regional carriers are much more uh, accepted in the LTL market space where they're newer in the parcel arena and, and you're dealing with two major competitors. Those are two um, differences that uh, the modes have that, that we can help you with.
3: Yeah. And there are still people out there, even in this tight capacity that have needs. So it's not gloom and doom, but it is the, the most challenging that I've ever seen it on capacity. And that's over a lot of
1: years. Yeah. <laughs> we won't mention that again. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Chris, uh, James, and Drew. What do each of you think? I mean, you both have a different perspective in that truckload space. Um, what are your thoughts on, or key takeaways you'd like to share?
4: Yeah, on the on the contract side, uh, I think flexibility is going to be one of the one of the main keys. Flexibility with your carriers, uh, but then. Also, having the mechanisms in place to truly be able to identify who your partners are from a service standpoint, cost competitive standpoint. So uh, be flexible. And with those incumbent providers that are sourcing you well, make sure you're giving them all the, uh, the capability that you can to help them succeed and continue to service your business.
1: Cool. Partnering with them. Drew? Yeah, I think I think you know the
5: biggest thing on on the spot side is you know really just staying in tune with the market, understanding these shifts as they come up, understanding these different dynamics uh from transportation events that come up as well too, but you know having that knowledge and using it when you need it the most is a big competitive advantage. So talking to as many customers, carriers and your trusted 3PL partner that will really help you navigate that.
1: Right. Thank you. Jared, how about in the international space?
6: I think a lot of it really just comes back to Agility uh, and, and being flexible, making sure that contingency plans are in place and that uh, and that you're being agile and just trying to, to, to get capacity in any way possible.
1: Great, Great. Thank you, Jared. And thank you to all the panelists. Um, I really want to uh, appreciate your time today and I, I'd like to get uh, out between you so that the customers who have questions can get directly to the experts. Uh, Michael. I believe we had some questions.
0: That's right, Reed. We do have a few questions and remind our audience we saved this time intentionally for you to ask questions to our experts. There's a questions panel there in the go-to webinar panel. That's where you could submit the questions and we'll share those with our panel and, and ask them. The first one that's come in here, it looks like it's going to be for our parcel expert, Mr. Brian Broadhurst. And Brian, it seems there's an opportunity for a third major cart. Parcel carrier in the US market, somebody outside UPS and FedEx. Has there been talk of anybody trying to fill this void, maybe outside the piecemeal regional carriers? Yes, it's a great question. And and
2: there's a lot of new entrants in the market in various areas. As you enter that market, it's really about the density on the origin and destination side. So, in order to be successful at that, you need to have the right partners and you need to build the right density for pickup as well as delivery density to be profitable. And you also need someone who's willing to invest and build that space. Um, there are a lot of new entrants. We we don't see someone who's a national provider on scale yet. I think there'll be some announcements in in the later half of this year of folks that are kind of stitching that together. Um, at this point, national footprint-wise, UPS and FedEx are still the primary. Um, there is a ton of work to combine the pieces and, and the market is ripe for it. I, I'm sure, We'll we'll see that come out. I would also say, in general, bringing on a variety of regional carriers, bringing on couriers, local providers, and even simply just being aware of the new entrants in real time as they come in is a ton of work. So I think it it helps a, a lot to have somebody who's tied into that industry and is seeing that across a lot of customer base. And that's that's of course one of the things we pride ourselves on. We're seeing that in real time across our customer base. So I would. My immediate action for our our clients would be to, and and for those that are not, would be to leverage someone like ourselves to keep a view of what is coming into the market so that way you can be on the front end of those new integrations, those new providers, and rather than having to manage every single area of the market and every change, you kind of have one one point of contact into the overall changes of what might be happening so you can monitor them through, through a... consulting partner as well as an execution partner
0: thanks brian great insight more questions coming in for our panel this one about temperature controlled trucks i'll throw it to drew and james james why don't you take it first so the question is you know, rates are soaring, availability is low for temperature-controlled equipment. Is there anything that's going to help ease all this, and, and what kind of time frame can you expect some of those rates to come down? So, again, James, why don't you take it from the contract side, and then I'll let, let Drew address it.
4: I uh, Yeah, absolutely. On the Uh, on the contract side, this is a more of a specialized piece of equipment. So you've got less capacity in this uh, for this equipment type than any other. So if there's, when you have a spike in demand for that, uh, for that piece of equipment, obviously it, and it's a, uh, and it's a limited finite uh, piece of equipment, obviously those go up. So the, The real answer and is either more equipment hits the road and you get drivers in it or capacity drops and hopefully there's an alignment of both of those things happening. Uh, I do. I think it does kind of follow the trend or the expectation of the other modes as well, which is probably in the, the around the Q1 end of Q1, seeing a dip in some of the demand for sure for the commodities that generally are hauled on refrigerated trucks, but then also hopefully some of that new equipment hitting the road.
5: Yeah, no, I, uh, I got to kind of echo what James is saying a little bit here. And I think to to that point, we're probably going to be stuck in a little bit of a tough capacity in this reefer market for a while. Um, I mean, obviously we're getting out of the food and bed season a little bit at the same time though, you know, you think about it from a temperature control standpoint. Now we're turning on restaurants, we're turning on concerts, we're turning on sporting events now. And you're going to see a big influx of this kind of deliveries from that standpoint. And I think the biggest thing, too, is when you think about getting into the trucking space, right? Uh, there's a lot of availability from the file mile sector. There's a lot of availability from sprinter and cargo vans. Uh, you know, obviously, from a 53-foot van is much cheaper, the capital going into reefer capacity, as James was kind of pointing out, will really be tough to be able to, to really grow over the next few months as the demand continues. So I, I think we're going to be caught in a tough situation for reefer capacity through the entire year.
0: Thank you, gentlemen, for that insight. This question to our international expert, Jared Wilson. Jared, going back to the container and equipment shortages, do you expect there'll be a shortage of containers in the first quarter of next year?
6: I think it would be reasonable to expect that. Uh, given, given the lack of capacity and availability that we have right now, knowing that we have uh, peak season coming up in an extremely high demand environment, uh, I, I think it would be reasonable to expect uh, a shortage in that time frame.
0: Kind of keeping it with you, Jared, a similar question in international. We have spoke about the Asian lanes, but for European ocean freight, do you feel like the capacity issue and elevated transportation cost will also continue into
6: 2022? I do. Yeah, I see it impacting the entire market. Where we're seeing the, um, the most sensitivity right now is on the Asian lanes, as would be expected, given what's going on with the port situation in southern China. Uh, but it, ha- it absolutely has an effect on the broader market. Um, so I would absolutely expect some continued price sensitivity there as well.
0: There's also some questions about the intermodal move. And, and James, I'll start here with you. Um, there is a question, you know, do you feel like the, the intermodal crunch will continue? Um, will there continue to be longer delays? And, and maybe what can shippers do as a, a shipper and a receiver of intermodal moves? What can they do to help improve container capacity?
4: Uh, yeah, uh, great question. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the transit times have slowed down. Um, and there is an imbalance of where those uh, where those intermodal containers are. I was talking with J.B. Hunt uh, the other day and they were saying they made a recommendation to improve your intermodal capacity. Try accepting deliveries within 24 hours of deramping, ramping And uh, if you can then unload those carriers within 24 hours of arrival. Uh, and I believe that's wise counsel. I think if uh, if more receivers can accommodate those kind of requests and those timelines for turning those, capacity
5: will eventually uh, start to even out.
0: Drew, anything you'd like to add there?
5: Yeah, I think just to, to James's point is the longer delays and as we look at supply chains, we're going a further away from that, right? Everybody wants their product today and now and quicker. And so that when you think about intermodal, Um, The one thing that I would say maybe on the truckload capacity side is you'll probably see a little bit more strenuous on teams as well because people are drifting away uh, a little bit from those intermodal services that were in the past.
0: Good information from our truckload experts. Only a couple of questions more remaining. Invite our audience to submit them again. And before we wrap it up, we'll get one more question here for Jared. And and Jared, this might be calling for a bit of speculation, but obviously the pricing in international and ocean shipping is escalating very rapidly and and at at a dynamic rate, as we spoke about Has there been any talk about regulatory actions, either from the U.S. government or a Chinese government or or any regulatory activities to try to slow that increase? Um, I have not
6: seen anything specific to regulatory activity um, on ocean rates yet. Uh, But absolutely. I mean, it's not just that we're seeing higher rates. We're seeing some rates out in the market that are really at unfathomable Levels, You know, we had mentioned earlier where on some lanes, some rate levels are, are three to four times uh, as high as what would have been normal pre-COVID. Uh, I've seen a couple of numbers that are, are you know, really five times plus, um, and it's really increasing um, rapidly uh, by the day, by the week is what we're seeing right now. So it will be interesting to see uh, if any of that type of activity would develop. Uh, If we continue to see increasing rates at the pace that we are right now. Um, But I think even getting the question right, it just speaks to the fact that it's really an unprecedented environment that we're in right now.
0: Thank you very much. And that concludes the question we've received from our audience and we're reaching the end of our time together We're going to wrap it up and conclude this Transportation Insight Digital Master Series event. To our moderator and our panel of experts, thank you very much for sharing your time and insight with our audience. For more information or to reach out to our supply chain masters, use the contact information you see on the screen. Also, if you're active on LinkedIn, be sure to follow Transportation Insight or connect with our panel of experts as business networks. One more resource we use to share timely industry information that can benefit you. You can also visit us online at transportationinsight.com. That's where you can access more about our solutions, our blogs, and our resource guides. Be sure to look for the Q3 chain link. That's the third quarter industry forecast with more information about some of the details we've discussed today. It's all available at transportationinsight.com. On behalf of our panelists in Transportation Insight, thank you for joining our broadcast. May you master the remainder of your day.